asked him, do you want a vehicle like this? And he said, absolutely. See, under the hood are all 3,030 names of the 9-11 victims, all by name. The trunk of the car are all the troops that died in Iraq, Afghanistan, 6,318, all alphabetized. So over 10,000 souls are represented on the car. It's a tribute to our troops, and it's a memorial to 9-11. And it's a burning bush that slows people down and causes them to consider eternal truth. So when I put the car in, I asked him, how far can I take this? You know I'm a minister. He looked at me and he said, as far as you want to take it. So we have a beautiful steel, stainless steel pedestal with a digital graphic uh, description of the car and a huge QR code, if you know what those are. So you can take your smartphone, plug into the QR code. It'll take you, them to our website. They'll get the gospel. They'll get a downloadable video of the car as well as the seam together names, all troops that have died. So seven days a week, that car is working, directing people to Calvary. Amen? So pray for that, and then also pray for us. Before I preach this morning, we have a unique opportunity in July. This next year, I've been invited by a key individual to come to Paris Island, South Carolina, to preach the gospel to all the recruits at Marine Corps Recruit Depot, Paris Island. Now, that is a unique opportunity. You don't always get that. Pray the door stays open. I'll have about 1,800 recruits. I'll be preaching the devil out of them on a Sunday morning service. That was the first place I heard the gospel as a young Minnesota farm boy heading down there. And I am looking forward to that opportunity. Pray the door stays open. It'll be the second Sunday in July that I'm targeting. I'll have to fly in for Okay, so with that said, take your Bibles and go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, thank you for coming this morning. And once you find your place, if you're able to stand comfortably, stand with me. Philippians chapter 2, thank you, Pastor Van Manen, for having us. Philippians chapter 2, I want to begin reading in verse 25. Philippians 2 and verse 25, we'll find a very obscure individual. So obscure in your Bible, he's only mentioned twice. And both instances, it's in the epistle to the church at Philippi. I have never heard a message preached on this man. I had nothing to draw from other than simply the resources of God's word, personal study. But I want to bring him up for our consideration this morning because he's a very unique individual. Notice what's said in Philippians 2 and verse 25. Paul says, yet I suppose it necessary to send to you, here's his name, Epaphroditus. And then he bestows upon him three incredible titles. He says, my brother, number one. Number two, companion in labor. And then thirdly, he calls him fellow soldier. But your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because he had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh to death, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I send him therefore the more carefully that when you see him again, you may rejoice and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation. Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. A very obscure individual, his name, Epaphroditus, Paul bestows upon him three incredible titles. He calls him fellow brother, fellow laborer, and fellow soldier. 
My message throughout the day is simply this. Are you of the household of Epaphroditus? I pray this morning you are of the household of Epaphroditus. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you this morning for the privilege to be in your house and with your people. Lord, we thank you for Calvary. We thank you for the blood of Calvary. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice of your only begotten Son. It is in his name we come before you. We ask your blessing on our time. As we consider this man you've chosen to record, preserve, bring forward to us today. Lord, I pray you use this thought to challenge our hearts. And if there's somebody here not in the household of faith, may today be that day they're into fellowship. They enter into fellowship with your son, with you, and with each of us here today. Bless this thought. Use it in our hearts. And throughout this day, Lord, I pray these messages would challenge us. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The household of Epaphroditus, an interesting fella. Somebody would say, who was Epaphroditus? If you were to simply look at the history books, you will find that he was a messenger from the church of Philippi. He was assigned to the apostle Paul during Paul's imprisonment at Rome. And he was entrusted with the contributions for Paul's support and if you will, his very life. Paul's life hung in the balance based on the faithfulness of this man. And Paul, considering him, bestows upon him three incredible titles. Look with me again in verse 25. He calls him my brother. That'll be our focus this morning. The next service, he calls him a companion in labor. And then thirdly, a fellow soldier. The first title Paul bestows upon this fella, he calls him my brother. We read that and it, it just doesn't hit. That is an incredible title and an amazing title that Paul bestowed upon this man called Epaphroditus when you consider who these two men were and where they came from. Who was Paul? Well, if you'll go to Philippians 3, just one chapter further, you'll get a brief biographical sketch of Paul. Who was the apostle Paul in his early years? Notice in verse number 5, Paul gives us a bio. Philippians 3, verse 5, he says, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. As touching the law, Paul says, I was a Pharisee. Who was Paul this morning? Well, he was a Jew, not a Gentile. But according to that biographical sketch, he was more than just any Jew. He was an ultra-Orthodox Pharisee. Acts tells us he was raised at the feet of Gamaliel. You were to put him in today's picture, go to the Wailing Wall and see those guys with the fuzzy hats and the long earlocks and the wrong robes bobbing at the Wailing Wall. That was the Apostle Paul. Not just a Jew, an ultra-Orthodox Pharisee. 
But more than that, Paul was a powerful elite Jewish political figure. He was well known throughout the community in high places. And he was an upper class, well-educated individual. You say, well, if that was Paul, who was Epaphroditus? <laughs> Could I just say this? The absolute polar opposite. Where Paul was a Jew, Epaphroditus was a Gentile. Where Paul was an ultra-Orthodox Pharisee, Epaphroditus was a pagan whose name literally meant belonging to Aphrodite, a pagan female goddess. Where Paul was a upper-class, well-educated individual and a powerful, elite Jewish political figure, Epaphroditus would have simply been a worshiper of a pagan deity, a very minimally educated, lower-class, common individual. In other words, a powerful political figure versus a redneck on the backside of nowhere. And these two men were as opposite as any two men could be. Paul, an ultra-Orthodox Jew, he'd been taught all his life to hate Gentiles. And Epaphroditus, a pagan Gentile who grew up his entire life despising Jews. For centuries, you need to recognize this. Men like these had no common bond. They were separated politically. They were separated socially. They were separated culturally. They were separated religiously. Literally, if you had said to either one of them, who is that guy to you? They would have snarled and literally said, enemy. They would have said adversary, but they would have never said brother. Great barriers and great divisions have been built up between these men for centuries, even in their approach to God. If you could, go to Ephesians 2 and get a glimpse of this. When I was here three years ago, not one year ago, everybody said, wow, last year, three years ago, all right? Welcome to this side of the roller coaster ride. It goes pretty fast, doesn't it? You know, when you're in high school, you can't wait for the next step. But somewhere after high school, we hit the crest of the roller coaster. I don't know if it's marriage. I don't know if it's the first child. But somewhere the ride starts picking up. So it wasn't one year. It was three years ago. Notice in Ephesians 2, we see this... This centuries-old divisions and barriers. And listen, I'm laying a groundwork. This is going to hit you pretty hard in a bit. But there's centuries-old divisions and barriers that had grown up and developed, even in their approach to God, between men like these. Notice in Ephesians 2. This is noted in verse 11. And three years ago, I brought this text up for your consideration. I want to go back and visit it. Ephesians 2, verse 11 says, Wherefore, remember. Look up for just a moment. Listen, when God tells you to remember something, it's because you're going to be prone to forget this. For whatever reason, this is going to be something that slips your cog. What are we being told to remember? Verse 11, that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. You look at me, eyes wide, and say, remember what? I don't even know what that said. You know all he's saying? Don't forget this. 
You're a Gentile, not a Jew. That's all he's saying there. Don't go too far from this thought. You're not a Jew. You're a Gentile. By a show of hands, and by the way, do we have any Jews here this morning? Any Jews at all? Any Jewish heritage, just out of curiosity? One, shalom. Shmi David. Zodishti Devorach. Amen. Anaknum Alaska. See, I could say anything. You would say, that was good. What was that? I'm David. This is Deborah, and we're from Alaska. Hello. You're sitting out there and say, wow, okay, so we have someone with Jewish heritage. I wonder if I am. If you have to ask, you're not. <laughs> Jews know who Jews are, amen? It's just the way it is. So other than our sister back there, the majority of this thought, wherefore, remember, you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. This is very specific, to, very specifically to 99% of us here this morning. And what is it God wants us to remember? That we're not a Jew, we're a Gentile. And notice because of that, verse 12, that at that time you were without Christ. There was a time you were without Christ. You didn't enter this earth a Christian the day you were born, amen, you wandered for a time without him. I wandered for a time without him for 18 years before as a young Marine I heard the gospel and got saved. And notice what we had because we weren't Jews and we didn't have Christ as Savior. Verse 12, we were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. We were strangers from the covenants of promise. We had no hope and were without God in this world. You know what that is? That's a whole lot of nothing we had. Could I remind you that for centuries, if you wanted to meet the God of this universe, you had to go to a Jewish camp to find him? He was the God of Israel, not the God of the Gentiles. Amen? And if you look at the approach to the God of this universe for centuries, the approach and access to him was extremely limited and extremely restrictive. The closest you could get to him was a place called the Holy of Holies. One little room. It was the highest in the temple, smallest and closest. And one man, one day out of the year, got to meet God face to face in that little room. The Holy of Holies, the high priest, and he better have innocent blood or they're pulling him out dead. Then you step away from the Holy of Holies and you take a step down. It goes a little lower and the room gets a little bigger but also a little further from God. And there you have the holy place. One group of men, the Kohanim, ministered there. And then you took another step down and the room got a little bigger. And there you had the inner court, the Jewish men or the tribe of Levi ministered there. And then you took a step down and you had another court. It was a little lower, a lot bigger, further from God, the court of the Jewish men. And then you took another step down and went further out. And that was even a bigger court. It was the court of the Jewish women they could go no further than that you say well where were we as Gentiles we were the lowest out lowest down and furthest out we're like little kids at Christmas trying to look over the fence what's going on with that Shekinah glory there he was their God not those were his promise, Jewish promises, not our, our promises, the Palestinian promise, the Abrahamic covenant, the, the Davidic covenant. Those are Jewish promises. We were way out there trying to look over and see what was going on in there. We were outside looking in. 
But then one day someone came along and changed the whole formula. In Ephesians chapter 2, look with me. In Ephesians chapter 2, notice what he says here. He says in verse 12, when you were without Christ... You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise. You had no hope and were without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh. How? By the blood of Christ. When Jesus Christ showed up, He brought with him two things that this universe had never seen in its existence. Number one, he brought equal access to the God of this universe. We call it in theology the priesthood of the believer. Amen? Notice notice this in Ephesians 13, he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Verse 18, for through him, through this Jesus Christ, we both, who's the both, Jew and Gentile, now have access by one spirit unto the Father. Where once the way was narrow, restrictive and cautious. Now in Jesus Christ, the Holy of Holies has been exposed. The veil has been rent in twain. And Jesus says, whosoever will may now come boldly by my blood into the fellowship and have access with the God of this universe. I would remind you this morning, your baptism doesn't bring you into the eternal favor of God. Amen. I remind you this morning, all the good things you do and the bad things you try not to do will never put you into the presence of God. Amen? I want to remind you, being an American does not put you into the presence of God. Being Caucasian or African American doesn't put you into the presence of God. Amen? Your church membership, your baptism, your catechism, none of it. There's only one who's broken down that wall of partition between man and God and brought sinners into the presence of a holy father, and it's the blood of Jesus. Christ and the person of Jesus Christ plus minus nothing. He said, whosoever will through me may now come. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to that Father but by me. And if you have the Son, you have life. If you have not the Son of God, I don't care how religious you are. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how sincere you are. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. You're yet dead in trespasses and sins. The first thing Jesus Christ brought with him was equal access to the God of this universe. There's no big eyes and little U's. It's all about him. Amen? But then he brought something else that sometimes I think we minimize. He brought with him common fellowship with one another. Vertically equal access to God horizontally, Jesus Christ, for the first time in the history of mankind, brought common fellowship with one another, literally embodied right now here in this local assembly. Look at what's said in verse 14. For he is our peace, Ephesians 2. 
who hath made both one. There's the both again. Who? The Jew and the Gentile. They've been at odds for centuries. They couldn't even sit together. They couldn't even go ahead and sit and have a coffee together. I just read it in my devotional time yesterday. They, they, they weren't even allowed to spend time together. He made the Jew and the Gentile. He brought them both together. They made them both one. And he's broken down the middle wall partition between us. And look at this in verse 22. In whom now ye also are builded. What a word, together. For an habitation of God through the Spirit. You and I need to recognize that title Paul gave Epaphroditus was a big deal. To call him my brother, not my enemy, not my adversary, not the butt of all my jokes that I sat and talked about, not, not that which I scorn and disdain, but my brother. And literally in Jesus Christ, you and I need to recognize, regardless of our social, economic, ethnic, religious, and personal backgrounds or personalities, in Jesus Christ, our diversity gets swallowed up by our identity with Jesus Christ. The day we became Christians, the day you and I were saved, we became fellow brothers and fellow sisters. And you know what they enjoy? Fellowship, which is social communication. Pat, Pastor, come up here. I want to illustrate this. And I was talking to Pastor Tony before the service started just getting a brief biographical sketch and I found out we've got maybe in our background one or two similarities but a lot of differences first of all I was raised a farm boy and I heard you were born a dairy in a dairy herd right in a in a on a onto a dairy okay onto a dairy farm but you were raised primarily in the city. So city slicker, country boy. All right? That's a difference, by the way. How we look at things, completely different. Um, high school diploma. What would you get? Education. Uh, part of my mom. <laughs> There's a difference. Amen? Um, now, I was a businessman for years. I never asked you about that. Did you ever run a business? Did not. Okay, I had 43 people working for me, so I was a businessman. We're both firstborn. There was one of our similarities. Watch out for this. <laughs> we'll get things done. Amen. Um, German heritage. Dutch. Dutch. I think we took you guys out in World War II, all right? <laughs> Personality. I'm absolutely an alpha male. Step aside. Make it wide. Lead, follow, or get out of the way. That is totally me. I don't think that's... I mean, okay. I won't ask his wife because I'll get a different opinion there. But, but generally, in the years I've known Pastor Tony, I mean, he has been a pretty steady Eddie guy. Um, United States Marine Corps. Cub Scouts. The Neighborhood Stick Club. It's <laughs> good training for the Marine Corps. 57? <laughs> okay, there's a half a generation click difference. You know, what I'm trying to get you to see 
is Brother Tony and I have more differences than we have similarities. Probably in the normal course of life, we would go through life, and Brother Cole, we really wouldn't go out of our way to spend time together. There's generational differences, there's, there's backgrounds, there's personalities, there's heritage, there's military. Not, it's just a lot of differences. There's not a lot of common ground here. But one day, Brother Tony met Jesus Christ. And one day, I met the Savior as well. And wherever we were in life, we took a knee, confessed our sin, and trusted him to be our Savior. And the day that happened, where we have all this diversity, suddenly we have this incredible common bond. We've got the same song. We've got the same story. We've got the same Savior. We've got the same home called heaven. And suddenly where all of those differences are there, they get swallowed up in this identity we now have with Jesus Christ. We become fellow brothers. With one another. You know what fellow brothers have? Their very first relationship. Turn and face me, brother. Fellow brothers enjoy fellowship. We enjoy social communication. We have a face-to-face relationship. And in spite of all of our differences, we have someone in common to talk about. And a mutually identical experience. We're sinners saved by grace. Amen? And we enter into a face-to-face relationship as brothers. Amen? Does that help you see that? All right, thank you, Brother Tony. Fellow brothers and fellow sisters enter into a face-to-face relationship, and the basis of our fellowship with each other rests upon fellowship with the Son. Look in 1 John with me. 1 John, look with me in chapter, chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, a single verse shows us this. In 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, notice with me in verse number 3. The Bible says this in 1 John 1, 3, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. He's saying we're doing all this for this purpose that ye also may have fellowship with us. He says we want that face-to-face relationship and notice how you get that. And truly our fellowship is with the Father. Notice this, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Do you know the basis of our fellowship with each other is fellowship with the Son? And the instant you entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ vertically, you automatically now enter into a relationship horizontally because of him with one another. It's a face-to-face relationship. We come brothers and sisters in the Lord. And I am amazed at how our Savior bridges the gaps. He bridges the differences. Years ago, I was preaching in Savannah, Georgia at an African-American church. They'll talk to you when you preach. And I don't change my preaching ever. Truth is truth. But I remember we got there and all six of our children were with us. And they were singing, and Pastor Kenny Grant, who was a Marine Corps chief drill instructor, who trained drill instructors, personal friend of mine, he was on stage, the choir was robed here, and, and my daughter Kimberly sat at the baby grand over here. She played the intro to every hymn and every song, and then over here, a guy that looked like Ray Charles sat at the keyboard. 
He had sunglasses. And I remember as Kimberly would intro the song, she would play it exactly as it was written, just as the hymn was written. And, and then as the song kicked off, the congregation began to sing, the choir began to sing, Ray Charles would go put a roll into it, he'd swing it. As he began to swing it, Kimberly would catch that, and so she would swing it with him. And he's over there playing, and a big smile breaks out on his face like, yeah, sister, you got it. You got it. And Deb and I, with the remaining five children, we're all sitting in the front row, and we are cracking up. And the choir's swaying, you know what I'm saying? And Ray Charles is swinging it. Kimberly's joining him, making his day. You know what I'm saying? So following the service, out to lunch we went. Brother Kenny and his family. Well, we're sitting at lunch. I said, Kimberly, you have got to hear what we saw. It cracked us up right there with Kenny, and we began to explain what we saw. She starts laughing. She goes, yeah, that, that's good, Dad. And she said, if you think that's funny, you should have seen what I saw. I said, what did you see? Kimberly says, well, here I am. I'm up there playing piano, and I look out, and there's a sea of black swaying, and seven white toothpicks in the front row. <laughs> we's honkies, man. We don't move. Y'all with me? I'm just telling you. Man, Kenny would like to slide under the table laughing when he heard her say that. We're about the only seven white folk in that whole church. But let me tell you something about Kenny's church. We get in there. Those ladies hug on my wife just as more, if not more, than y'all do. The guys like it straight. They want the preaching real. They want the same things we want. They don't want their kids to go to jail. They don't want them out on the streets. They don't want them to die and go to hell. They want the happy ending. And our God is in the business of giving happy endings. He's the only one that gives a forever happy ending through his son, Jesus Christ. And we have a sweet a time. We have a great a time with them. I don't see color. I don't see that junk. I'm going to say this. If you get politicians and press out of this race issue, we would not have a problem with it in America. But if you put Jesus into it, there definitely wouldn't be a problem. Red and yellow, black and white, they are all precious in his sight. He died for all men and all women. That's truth. You and I need to recognize that we serve a Savior who... He bridges gaps. He crosses those thresholds. The devil's not happy with the unity of our family manifested and fulfilled in this local assembly. He always tries to mix it up by changing the common denominator that we have in Jesus Christ. Look in 1 Corinthians and watch what he did to the church of Corinth. Notice what's said here in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 1 and verse number 9. He tries to take the focus off of Jesus Christ. And I say that this morning. He's going to try to get the focus off of Jesus Christ. The devil doesn't want you focused on Jesus Christ. He wants you focused on all the other things that we have in difference with each other. He doesn't want you focusing on the common one that we have in common with each other. And he did this to the church of Corinth. Look at what he says in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 9. He says, God is faithful. 
by whom you were called unto, there it is again, fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Look at verse 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be how many divisions? No divisions among you. Huh. You know, I want to say this morning, this world is a divided world. This nation has become a divided nation. You with me? Your neighborhood probably is a divided neighborhood. Your workplace probably a divided place. You with me? But that should not be so here. You know something I learned in mathematics? When you're trying to combine unlike terms, you have to have a common denominator to do it. But you don't need a common denominator to divide. And the devil forever will try to get your focus and my focus off of the one who combined us to start with. His name, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Father's will is this. He wants no fussing in the family. He wants the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace here. Amen? And I remind you, and this is good reminder as we consider, as we've gathered today, we gather in His name. His desire is unity here amongst the believers, fellowship with each other because of fellowship with the Son. No divisions, like-minded, but the devil wants to mix that thing up. We still need each other. I remember years ago in Alaska, I had a guy in our church named Glenn Wagner. Glenn, I called him Goofy Glenn. Glenn never had a serious bone in his body. He was always joking about everything. He was about 6'1". And he was fun to be with, but sometimes he'd wear you out. But I remember one day, I'm driving back from our church in North Pole, Alaska. And I'm driving to Fairbanks. It's about a 15 to 20-minute drive. And Glenn Wagner has truly gotten my goat. And I'm in my blue marquee, and I turn to my wife. She's in the passenger seat, and I said, did you see what Glenn said to me? You see what he said to me? Did you see how he treated me in front of the man? And I begin to go off. And I remember after I preached the sermon to my wife, I said, as far as I'm concerned, I don't want him. I don't need him. I wish he'd get out of my life. I said that. Your son Steve would know Glenn, by the way. You know Glenn. He's already talked about Glenn. <laughs> and I hate it when my wife sits there like that in the passenger seat. She won't say a word. There's not even an amen. I mean, the congregation is silent, and I know what she's doing. She's praying for me. I hate it when she's spiritual like that. Because I really would like to get her to join me on hating Glenn. She won't do it. She won't take the bait. It's like, that's horrible. So I ratchet it up. I preach the message again. And I say it one more time. As far as I'm concerned, in light of everything I've said, I, I don't need him. I wish he'd get out of my life. I don't want him. I don't need him. I wish he'd just get out of my life. 
And as soon as I said it a second time, the temperature gauge goes sky high and the radiator boils over. And I remember I'm coasting to a stop. And as I'm coasting to a stop, steam coming out from under the hood. I'm 10 minutes from Fairbanks. I'm in the middle of nowhere. I'm on the backside. We call it the edge of the bush. I look at her as I coast to a stop. I say, don't you even think it? This has nothing to do with what I was saying. I did. I said, don't, don't. She just. I came to a stop, put it in park, turned the key off. I mean, the whole dash is red light. I'm going, I cannot believe this. Mm. There's nothing. There's not even enough snow in a ditch to melt and put in a radiator. Springtime. And I'm sitting there for a bit, just like, mm. Glenn has got my goat. The car is like, she's not. Mm. And all of a sudden, I hear this vehicle stop behind me. And this is where I was. Oh, great. Some rubbernecker coming to say, hey, man, what's going on? She says, all I need is an audience. And as I open the door to step out, out of the vehicle steps Glenn Wagner. <laughs> Glenn. Glenn is the church mechanic. Glenn is the guy who carries all the tools, all the supplies. Anybody who's broken down, he helps get their vehicle on the road. It's Glenn. And here he comes with his Tigger Springs. Hey, Brother Dave! That's how Glenn walked. Non-military Tigger Spring Glenn. Hey, Brother... High-pitched voice. Hey, Brother Dave! You need any help? So what do you think I said to him? Hey, I don't want you. I don't need you. Get out of my life. No, 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 no. Framed in the door with my wife watching me, I say, well, hi, Brother Glenn. Good to see you. My wife is looking up at me, and I know what's going through. You filthy hypocrite. You know what's sad is I know a lot of Christians that want to get so independent of one another, they don't have to ever rely on each other. We just want to have our little get-together here, and then beyond that, nah, I'm good, I don't need you. But I want to remind you, this side of eternity, we're still the best friends we'll ever have. You say, whoa, 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 Brother Dave, you don't understand. There's some people down in that church. <laughs> I have issues. Well, first of all, isn't it wonderful we have a Savior who saves us from ourselves? Amen. But second of all, you know what I say to that? Well, welcome to family. <laughs> so since when did that stop you from going to your family reunions every year? It's amazing to watch the loyalty that flesh and blood family has. They'll save up money, spend money, drive halfway across the country, spend a week together, jammed in the same house, fuss and cuss, and then on the way home make plans to do it again next year. And by the way, FYI, you have issues too. 
Say, well, no, now wait a minute, Brother Dave. I've been thinking about my life, and just, just, you know, I just can't find an issue. I can't find a problem. Don't see any. Huh. Then you have the biggest problem. It's called pride. The thing God hates more than anything else. God resisteth the proud. He giveth grace to the humble. We still need each other. And if you're going to go and wall yourself off from all the other believers and just feel like oh, they're not worth the investment or the time, then you've just asked God to pick a radiator cap to blow in your life to push you back to them. And there's a lot of caps. There's a lot of radiators, financial radiators, health radiators, children radiators, family. You all with me? We are feeble on our best day. We need him and we need each other. And as you and I consider this common denominator, look what the psalmist said in Psalm 133. He said this in Psalm 133 and verse number 1. He just seemed to sum it up so well. He says in Psalm 133 and verse 1, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together, what? In unity. That is sweet. Amen? Our common denominator is Christ this morning. Could I remind you this morning, we are gathered in his name. We're not gathered in my name. We're not gathered in your pastor's name. We're not gathered in your name. We are gathered in his name. It's his name that ought to be predominant this morning. And he's the reason we're here. We're not here for you. We're not here for me. We're here for him. He's the one who combined us to start with. You know, all we are is sinners. Saved by grace. I hear the song, let's talk about Jesus. The King of kings is he. The Lord of lords supreme. Through all eternity. The way, the truth, the life. The door. Da, 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 da. Let's talk about Jesus more and more. Let me tell you. The more you focus on him, the more the differences disappear. The more you get closer to him, the more the dis differences disappear. He's the reason we're here this morning. And you and I need to recognize there's a hallmark in our local assembly gathered in his name. Go to John and notice what it is. There's something here that you and I need to just grab as we're closing these thoughts down. As we consider that face-to-face -face relationship you and I entered into with each other because we entered into that with his son. Notice what's said in John, the book of John, in chapter 13. Jesus Christ says this, John 13, 35. By this, John 13, 35, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if, time out, pause, look up. Jesus is about to go ahead and share the indicator of discipleship. He said, by this shall all men, all those people out there, they're not believers. This is how they're going to know you're my disciples. 
And notice he says, if, and I could fill in so many blanks. I could say, if you have good doctrine, and I believe in good doctrine, it's a foundation we lay things on. But he doesn't say that. If ye have an incredible music program, and I believe in a great music, but he doesn't say that. If ye support foreign missions and get the gospel, I, and I, we give sacrificially to missions as a family. But he doesn't say that. By this shall all men know you, my disciples. If ye have what? Love one to another. Could I say this morning, your local assembly here, gathered with all of our differences, all of the diversity here, it operates differently than your workplace. Amen? It will operate differently than corporate America. It should operate differently than all those other places where people gather. People should walk in here who are unsaved. And they should not be able to explain why you guys love each other so much. They should stand in awe and say, I don't understand how this white guy can hug and love on this African American. They should say that. They should say, hey, they should be hating each other. They should look at us and go, what are you guys on? You know what I tell them? Oh, it's good stuff. <laughs> How much does it cost? Free. How long will it last? Forever. <clears throat> Give me some of that. I mean, they literally should come in here and they should see all of us with our diversities and differences. You know, the, the generational gaps the gender differences. Well, you should see that and they say, how in the world? You guys don't tolerate each other. You guys love each other. They should not be able to explain what goes on in here. Amen? And if they can, then it's us. It's not him. By this shall all men know you're my disciples if you have love one toward another. And with that said, what should be our responsibility as I close this morning? Look at Ephesians 4. As fellow brothers and fellow sisters in the Lord, this is our responsibility. Local assembly gathered in Jesus' name this morning. This is your responsibility here. Ephesians 4. Notice what he says in verse number 1. The Spirit of God through Paul sharing this thought to the church at Ephesus. Ephesians 4, 1 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Look at this. With all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another, that means putting up with each other in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Fellow brothers and fellow sisters, when Jesus Christ came, he gave every one of us equal access to the God of this universe, boldness through his blood, to fellowship with a holy God. But he also broke down the walls of partition 
and differences between us and gave us common fellowship now with one another. I say this. If in Jesus Christ the Jew and the Gentile can get along, anybody can get along. Or you don't know your history. There's no greater difference in the universe than those two entities. So our responsibility now is this, to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. You say, how do I do that? It's the same thing we tell married couples that are pastor, you've counseled them, I guarantee it. The honeymoon always wears off. Reality sets in. Sometimes it takes a year, sometimes it takes one day. But all of a sudden they see their differences. Everybody thinks, oh, I've got to work at getting closer. No, 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 no. If this is the person of Jesus Christ embodied here and you entered into fellowship with him first, your goal now is to get as close to him as you possibly can. And like a triangle, the closer you get to him, automatically the closer you'll get to one another. Oh, I know this. We all could get a little closer. Amen. And so, fellow brothers, fellow sisters, we have fellowship with one another because we entered into fellowship with the Son. Can this be evidenced in your life this morning? Could you be and would you be considered to be of the household of Epaphroditus? I pray so. Let's stand and bow our hearts before the Lord for just a moment. I'm